to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. And with us today is Mike Zlotnick. And Mike is known in real estate circles as Big Mike due to his stature. But more importantly, he is known for his personal integrity and for having a keen understanding of the financial aspects of successful real estate investing. Mike has a depth of expert knowledge in the pandemic-created investment opportunities in real estate, what's hot and what's cold, and where things are trending now. So welcome to the show, Mike. How are you doing? Thank you, Eileen, very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and experience that you're seeing in the real estate space. Honored and humbled to be on the show. So happy to be here. So if you want to start off by sharing with the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got started. Sure. Just I'll run a short version of my life story. So I immigrated from the former Soviet Union. It was that long ago to the United States in 1989 as a political refugee. And I've been living in the U.S. ever since. I'm a U.S. citizen, a U.S. patriot. Uh, U.S. educated, a mathematician by education, live in Brooklyn, New York. Have uh, my lovely wife, four kids, and a cat, the fifth child. Beyond that, I had an almost 15-year career in technology. At that point, I switched to real estate full-time. I found it to be my passion. been a passive investor since 2000 and an active fund manager since 2009. Live in Brooklyn, New York. As I said, we invest all over the country. Many classes in real estate, including obviously the number one asset class, multifamily, but we also play in the storage, office, shopping plazas, industrial, and so on. Awesome. And so I guess in your opinion now, you've been investing in real estate for quite some time now. And so how have you seen the market change from where it was before to kind of what it's turning into today? Sure. So we are experiencing a rare accelerate inflation. You don't see this kind of inflation normally which includes obviously level of income inflation, as well as commodity inflation, the construction materials, and the rent inflation. So all the markets all over the country, maybe with small exception, are in this inflationary environment, which is actually great for real estate investors from the point of view that when you buy a multifamily project or any real estate for that matter, you borrow long-term money typically with a fixed interest rate. And inflation erodes the value of the debt and increases the value of equity. So this is a rare market where at least what we're seeing today, equity investing in multifamily and other asset classes should outperform uh, the historic average. Although the prices are also almost at a a stratosphere. So on a relative basis, still got to look for a deal. You can't just go buy it blindly. Got to find the right deal, but the inflation in general will help. Kind of it's it's the tide that rises all boats. And so like for you, when you're looking to build up your portfolio and, um, you know, be a little bit more diversified in it, you mentioned multifamily and self-storage in the commercial space. How do you make sure that you kind of balance everything to make sure that everything is diversified for you, especially in the post-pandemic environment? Yeah, that's a great question. We run a family of funds, almost fund to funds. This is what we do. We investors invest with us and we diversify among many strategies, many asset classes, many locations sponsors, operators. So diversification is the number one uh, priority for us. So 
the way we approach it is we look at obviously asset classes. How much do we want to deploy in multifamily? You don't want to be 100% multifamily as an investor. So for us, typically, even a big asset class like multifamily, we still try to keep our fund portfolio within 20, 25% of, of the overall portfolio in that. The rest could be in storage, could be in industrial and so on. So we do that kind of allocation. We also allocate between different type of operators and sponsors. So the way to think about diversification, what people are you investing with? Do you want to invest every dollar with the same person? The answer is no. God forbid something happens to them, you have potential exposure. Obviously, investing with institutional quality sponsors. So we invest with folks where it's not a one-man show, one-woman show. It's more of a there's an organization behind them. Then we look at the regions of the country. So at this point, there appears to be some of the southern regions, they're better for cash flow, they're better growth uh, environments. I am in New York City. Unfortunately, we don't like the outlook for the kind of the growth prospects here. Even though the city is recovering from COVID, but the kind of the forward outlook, I'd rather be in other markets. So diversification has many dimensions and constantly thinking about it. I don't know if I gave you the, the right answer, but it's, it's how we think about it. Absolutely. And so for you, you know, you talked a little bit about looking about the future of real estate and kind of what you're seeing in the space. How do you see it, you know, evolving into going, you know, moving into the upcoming year, you know, in the short term and then a little bit more into the long term as well? Sure. And again, uh, I used to have a wonderful crystal ball and it broke and I can't <laughs> find another one for sale. So everything I'm going to say is That's all be... unfortunate. <laughs> because yeah, you really okay. use it right now. <laughs> It's uh, It was a great thing to have it. But at, at this point, uh, obviously, uh, we're seeing still substantial, as I said, inflationary environment. So for the next probably year and a half, I, I don't see any major risk to the economy. There appears to be kind of steady eddy without taking any political positions. Uh, Democrats, they, they're actually supporting inflationary pressure for everything they do. It just just, just happens to be so. The free market capitalists, if this was the case, would probably have a little bit less inflation. So inflation is probably a friend for the next year and a half. A little bit of political risk. Well, again, not taking the sides, but if things change, uh, midterm elections, we may have a little bit more of a stillmate situation. So there will be less government intervention, less government spending, I would say, uh, if things change. So while we, we are enjoying this inflationary environment, uh, investments with, with a good value add strategy, which is part of what we do. We don't want to buy kind of retail investments. We don't want to buy things the way they're trading right now at a, at a current price. We don't want to find projects that have substantial level of value add. Well, but what I mean of value add is could be renovations of units and rent increases, could be other auxiliary income. Uh, we've also done quite a bit of investing in the hotel conversions to multifamily. Again, talking about multifamily as an asset class. We love the asset class, but some of the dysfunctional hotels become really interesting opportunities to convert. Even though kind of the biggest pressure of the COVID on hotels is over. So many of them are recovering and some of them recovering well at their vacation spot. But there are still enough hotels that were dysfunctional before. And they're still dysfunctional now, and they become conversion candidates. So we like these projects where you can reposition an asset, buy it relatively cheap, do the value add, repositioning, and then create affordable housing, which is to do good for the society, do good for most of the, of the cities and towns. So we like this strategy quite a bit. It's one of the, I don't want to call it unique COVID-created, but it's a COVID-accelerated strategy, just, just, just the one of the things that what I see today. So there are other interesting opportunities, but if you want to talk sort of a bucket, this bucket has been a pretty big bucket. 
How long do, typically do you see a, a conversion uh, project take from a hotel to a multifamily? Yeah, it's another great question. Typically 12 to 18 months, it can be done faster. So if it's a extended stay hotel, like residency in one of these you know, Marriott brands or Hilton brand or other brands, they have these, they basically have a small kitchen, they have a living room and a, and a bathroom, sometimes two bathrooms. These extended stay hotels are much faster conversion. You can go through the process in six months and you have full stabilization in a year. So 12 to 18 months is a fairly you know reasonable time frame. If it's a hotel that looks like a motel, like a Romada, it needs to be repositioned. There may be some unit combinations, uh, some studios, some one bedrooms. Uh, it may take a little bit longer, but in general, 18 months should be sufficient for a competent operator to execute the strategy. Got it. And so I guess also in your opinion too, because you've invested, you mentioned that you were a passive investor since 2000 and now you've created your fund of funds. Like what has been the biggest uh, difference in doing the fund of funds um, versus a, a traditional syndication? Sure. Um, being active means really focusing on identifying relationship sponsors. So we spend a good amount of time networking with the best of the best. The key part, if you're going to ask, well, what is my primary job? Well, we find the most competent, trustworthy operators. I like to use this phrase, people who we know, like, and trust. Once we establish that, we start looking at their deals. And we want to be a programmatic, systematic capital provider for them so we get kind of best opportunities to invest in. And then obviously, we have to underwrite for the right economics for us. So the difference is a passive investor, a lot of the stuff, I didn't care as much. I just write a passive check, uh, and a lot of my investments were kind of local in the city, just buy apartments here or buy, buy houses. Uh, I was not thinking of a bigger project. So I was thinking, like, a, I want to touch the investment. I want to be right next to it. I want to go to the property. I want to be able to feel that uh, I own real estate. It's real brick-and-water type of approach. Versus now, a lot of our investments, we invest in Midwest. We have three or four investments in Indy. I wouldn't go to Indy normally, but we have a great sponsor in Midwest. Because the sponsor is in Midwest, they found projects in India. We went to India. So at this point, we're really focusing a lot more on the relationships first, and then the projects. If you have a great sponsor, great great projects, great economics, then we are we are investing and writing bigger checks. The other interesting difference is uh, being a fund manager. I'm able to write bigger checks, not just my own capital, but the capital of other investors. As a result, we're able to negotiate better terms. So ability to do that makes me feel, hey, I, instead of a normal eight pref seventy thirty over eight. I can push a little bit on the sponsor toes, step on, on the sponsor and say, hey, listen, I'm writing you a bigger check. We need a little bit better economics for us. So that's the value that we have. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Through your entire journey in real estate investing, you know, what has been kind of like the biggest aha moment that has propelled you to the next level? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I almost have to think about it. I would say you learn the biggest lessons from mistakes. So I don't want to say we made a lot of mistakes, but the propelling moments is when you make an investment, an investment has challenges. So what do you learn from that? You learn to underwrite better. What you can control is what you underwrite. You cannot control how the project will go. So sometimes you make a mistake and you underwrite a little aggressively, you go to the deal with aggressive assumptions, and then you wind up, or give you an example, you can have a deal where the market gets saturated. We have an investment in Houston, not a multifamily, but a storage, and the market got saturated. So could we have done a better job underwriting? Yes, we could have. So the lessons learned is do a better job underwriting and don't rush. Just take, take the time. Even though everybody is anxious to do deals, take a step back and just calmly try to look at the deal. And you don't regret the deal you don't do. Got it. And so, you know, for somebody who's kind of starting out right now, what is something that they can do right now to kind of get them along the path of starting in their real estate investing journey? Sure. So if you're a passive investor, it's very different versus active. And some people gravitate from being a passive to active over time as your journey continues. So again, get to know, get to like, know, like, and trust people. And then uh, invest. And then I'm going to crack this joke, well, this expression. So most people, do they invest to learn or learn to invest? You have to think about the answer because the answer is not trivial. Most of us, we just write a check and you learn as you go along. So try to learn. Don't just be a passive investor, but be active. So if you write a check in our funds, right? I mean, just again, I'm selfishly, I run these quarterly calls with, with my team and I love when people show up and then they ask questions and try to understand how each investment functions. How does it make money? What are the risks? So the best way to start is you probably have to invest. If you invest, if you're not going to make invest, if you're not, if you're going to sit and wait, analysis paralysis, you can turn blue. So find a good sponsor, a good fund manager, make the investment, just be a little bit more active and learn through the conversations, through the questions, so that in the next investment, you can be better at making the decisions. And at some point, you gain enough knowledge and experience, you can actually go active. And become an active passive investor. That's right. So Mike, for you, what is next for you and what are you looking to focus on next? Uh, trying to do sort of better return on time, economy of scale. So at the same time, I love certain smaller projects, certain great folks. But over time, all of us gravitate to a little bit bigger capital deployment problem and a better return on time. So I work very hard and I enjoy what I do, but I do want to sort of gravitate to sort of a fewer, a bigger projects. And over time, just give you a, a, a little bit more color to this. So many folks invest passively in the turnkey properties. They buy a bunch of passive houses. You've heard of the term. Just buy a house. You live in coastal markets and you buy a house in, in the Midwest or Florida. And everything is wonderful except for it's a small one asset and, and you often have to spend time. So the way to improve return on investment is fewer, bigger investments. So today I stopped investing into single family or any of the assets that just take finite amount of time and the asset is small and instead gravitating to a fewer syndications, again, by definition, but you can have a 80-door project versus 200-door project. Your economy of scale is with 200 doors. So as much as possible within the right opportunity, obviously, get a little bit more economy of scale, some of the investments. And so how has real estate investing impacted your life? It's been a journey. It's been a journey. Uh, this has been my passion. And I mean, it provides, obviously, good living for the family. Uh, but at the same time, I'm trying to teach my kids now a little bit about real estate. 
And my second one picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad book. Uh, she's got it on Audible and she's got a you know physical copy. And uh, I'm beginning to teach her that, listen, I mean, you could become a doctor, whatever you want to do. But at the same time, you can be a real estate investor. The beauty about real estate investment, you can be as passive as you want. If you don't want to go active, just buy it. And it provides great hedge against inflation. It provides stability. It's a lot more predictable. It's one of the most important words. So just teaching kind of the impact of real estate on me is that I can teach my kids that you can do many things in life, but part of those things you should probably consider investing in real estate. Yeah, no, that's great. Has there been any other way, like uh, with your kids at least, has there been any other ways that they've come to you to want to be more involved in the space? Yeah, it depends. I have four wonderful kids and they're different. My oldest one doesn't really care about real estate. She wants to be a veterinary doctor. She cares about animals and all that. And that's wonderful. We That's why we got the cat. But my second one, she's she's feisty. She's, she wants to learn. She, she wants to be a, a dermatologist at the same time. She wants to be a businesswoman. So it's kind of interesting. I'm beginning to impact her a little bit. It, it, it's a gradual process. And over time, I'm sure they're going to come when they want to buy their first place. And how do I do that? What do I do? I'll try to help them out. So it, it's an evolution. It's not, it's not a one step. It's a mini step. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Well, being sort of in a highly appreciating market in New York, I sort of, I don't want to say that I regret selling everything that I sold. Everything I kept has done really well things I've sold, I I probably would have done a whole lot better. So some of the lessons learned give you some real basic theories. Number one, if you're in a market that appreciates at a rate well above the mortgage rates that you're paying when you're in loan. So New York City has been appreciating other than the COVID, the pre-COVID, I would say rate anywhere between 8 and 10% a year, which is a pretty high rate. And then when you borrow money at at 4.5%, the appreciation takes care of the business. You don't need to do anything else. So the lessons learned, if you don't have to sell, don't sell. Obviously, over time, you want quality assets easy to manage. So if you sell, sell for the reasons that you have outgrown the asset. That's a valid way to sell. But if you have a high-quality asset uh, with good long-term debt in a good location, don't sell. That's sort of a lesson learned because over time, depreciation will take care of the business. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? Again, it's a great question. One thing, I, guess I would say focus. Too many people try to do too many things at the same time. And that's the problem. There are a lot of bright and shiny objects. So if you know where you're going, stay on target. Like in the Star Wars, stay on target. That's the target. <laughs> so focus, I would say, is the number one thing that helps people get where they need to go. Because without the focus, you could easily get distracted. And, and so that's... One on one thing, that's the focus. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in real estate, like you mentioned, there are so many different shiny objects out there. And when you hear something new, you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. And you always just want to go learn about the new thing. But sometimes, you know, like you said, you need to focus, you know, maybe dabble a little bit to learn a little bit, but then really just focus on like what you're set out to do, what your goals are. Yeah, that's right. I'll add just this. And, and being a pretty broadly diversified fund manager, we dabble in many asset classes. We still focus. We still focus on gaining expertise and knowledge in one asset class before we go into the next one. And we reach a point and we reach the right relationship. Going out there and just, hey, we heard there's wonderful opportunities in the mobile home parks. We have zero because we don't know about it. And it's, it's, it, it would take us outside of our core focus. So there are wonderful opportunities. 
but you're not just looking at, at a sector when you look at opportunity. You really have to find the right people you're investing with. And the challenge is if you can't find the right people to invest with, especially as a passive investor, there's too many shysters, terrible operators. I would say for every good one, there's probably nine, so all the way to the idiots and fraudsters, right? So you're really finding high quality relationships is extremely hard. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge and sharing your story with us. So if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go? Sure. So really simple. That's why I'm called Big Mike. There's a reason why I'm called Big Mike. And I wasn't, it's not really because I'm only 6'4", I'm a little on a heavy side. <laughs> so people have called me Big Mike for a reason that I'm actually a big guy, right? And, and this name stuck. And then I have a Big Mike Fun podcast. So the website that I couldn't come up with a more creative name, it's bigmikefund.com. And if you forget the D at the end, you just misspell it, bigmikefund.com. I promise it's not a kinky site. <laughs> thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate everything again. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.